Thank you, and welcome to Writer's Reason, where today we'll be covering story arcs when it comes to Act 2, and story structure genres. I'm your host, Rick Phelps. Thanks for joining me. Okay, guys, our protagonist, the boy who lived, has made it halfway through the story. When it comes to structuring the middle of a book, oftentimes you can notice a pattern that happens with the tone or vibe of the two halves that are separated by the midpoint. You might imagine the story as having four distinct parts. The setup, the first half of Act 2, the second half of Act 2, and the finale. But this structure is not level. There are ups and downs all over it. The protagonist wins some and loses others all over the book. It's what makes it enjoyable. But among the zigzags, there are sometimes patterns that emerge of a general positive or negative curve to the tension. There are times it is more pronounced than others, and there are times when it seems to not have come into play at all. But Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone definitely has these curves. The curves come on either side of the midpoint and they're opposites of each other, or inverses of each other. If the first half of Act 2 is upward or positive, then the other is likely to be generally negative or downward in its curve. Either you have a mountain with the midpoint as the peak, or a valley with the midpoint being the bottom. And with the midpoint being that peak or the low point, we typically see that come around in the story as a false victory or a false defeat. For example, in this book, Harry coming to Hogwarts and seeing all it has to offer is a very positive upward progression which culminates in a victorious feeling midpoint that we see when he wins the Quidditch match. It's opposite on the other side, and we see Harry steadily getting more and more into trouble, watching as Snape seemingly gets his way. And that's another part of the midpoint. Often there are many elements that can appear in the midpoint. We see two more in this one. The first is a twist. Often when a twist comes to the story, it appears at the midpoint, which is perfect for both the readers and the writer because everything that carried Harry up to the midpoint, such as experiencing hard words, would probably not have the weight to carry us to the end. So here, in the same chapter that Harry wins the Quidditch match, we also stumble onto Snape as he's bandaging his wound that he got from the three-headed dog, Fluffy. This spurs on the newfound investigation into what the dog is guarding and why Snape may want it. But it also does one more thing that is very important in a midpoint. It creates a time clock, something that puts a time constraint or pressure on the heroes. In this case, Harry, Ron, and Hermione know they have to figure something out fast if they want to make sure Snape doesn't figure out how to get to the stone. But things don't go so well for our heroes. As we descend toward the lowest point in any book, the all is lost, we see why this second half of Act 2 is often called the bad guys close in section. We see the literal bad guys closing in. Snape is seeming to get closer and closer to capturing the stone, and even Malfoy is becoming more aggressive and proves to endanger even Hagrid when he peeks in the windows and sees Norbert the dragon. But Harry and his two friends are the heroes, and they take what comes and try to make the best of it. It's important to note 
that while Harry, Ron, and Hermione are a team, and each one has been displayed as brave, proactive, and smart, Harry is still the protagonist. He is, as he should be, the one doing all the protagging. Protagging, by the way, is a word coined by author Dan Wells and means progressing the story. And we see that even when Ron is the one with a brother who takes care of dragons, Harry is still the one to suggest giving Norbert to Charlie. But not everything goes well up on top of the astronomy tower. After successfully sneaking up to the roof under the invisibility cloak, Harry and Hermione triumphantly head back, but forget the cloak on the roof. They are caught faster than you can say 150 points from Gryffindor and sentenced to detention. And that is the all is lost. Not only do they have detention, but they have single-handedly lost Gryffindor the house cup, and everyone but the Slytherins actively dislikes them. What a dismal time, and it sends them into what is called the Dark Night of the Soul, a time in the book when Harry and the others swear off meddling, even when it comes to stopping Snape. That is, until it's revealed that Voldemort is waiting for the stone in order to be restored to power. Harry is scared, pacing, and frantic. This is the big reveal that is sometimes called the aha moment or the epiphany. Which brings me to a point I want to talk about when it comes to different types of stories. In Save the Cat Writes a Novel, Jessica Brody explains that there are 10 genres that fit almost any story. And each one has elements that help them bring the feel that each genre has to offer. And these aren't the traditional genres. They are story structure genres. But a book doesn't need to adhere to only one story genre either, and this book is a great example of that. I want to read a short description of each genre as written by Brody herself. First, we have the Why Dunnets. A mystery must be solved by a hero who may or may not be a detective, during which something shocking is revealed about the dark side of human nature. Second, we have stories that are called rite of passage stories. In these, a hero must endure the pain and torment brought about by life's common challenges, such as death, separation, loss, divorce, addiction, coming of age, and so on. Third, we have institutionalized. In these, a hero enters or is already entrenched inside a certain group, institution, establishment, or family, and must make a choice to join, escape, or destroy it. Superhero. In this story genre, an extraordinary hero, with superpowers or not, finds themselves in an ordinary world and must come to terms with being special or destined for greatness. Dude with a problem. In these stories, an innocent, ordinary hero suddenly finds themselves in the midst of extraordinary circumstances and must rise to the challenge. Then we have Fool Triumphant Stories, where an underestimated underdog hero is pitted against some kind of establishment or threat and proves a hidden worth to society. Buddy loves stories. In these stories, a hero is transformed by meeting someone else, including but not limited to love stories, friendship stories, and pet stories. Then we have out-of-the-bottle stories, where an ordinary hero is temporarily touched by magic, usually involving a wish fulfilled or a curse bestowed, 
and the hero learns an important lesson about appreciating and making the most of reality. The Golden Fleece stories, where a hero or group goes on a road trip of some type, even if there's no actual road, in search of one thing and winds up discovering something else, usually themselves. And lastly, we come to Monster in the House stories where a hero or group of heroes must overcome some kind of monster, supernatural or not, in some kind of enclosed setting or limited circumstances. And someone is usually responsible for bringing the monster into being. Now, we can look at some of these and know immediately what Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is not. But let's see what it might fit into. First off, Jessica Brody actually did an overview of this same book and classified it herself, placing it into the superhero genre. And here's why. Each genre has certain elements that make that genre unique. For a superhero story, there are three. A power, bestowed on your hero even if it's just a mission to do or be good. A nemesis, who directly opposes your hero and who possesses equal or even greater force, but who is the self-made version of your hero and lacks the faith to truly be the one. And thirdly, a curse, for the hero to overcome or succumb to as the price for who they are, and which makes your hero relatable to us mere mortals. As Brody herself said, Harry struggles throughout the series to come to terms with the fact that he is the chosen one, to defeat Voldemort, a power and a curse in one, and makes this novel a winning example of a superhero story. What she means when she says that it is a power and a curse in one is that being the chosen one comes with its upsides and downsides. So we can obviously see she's correct. But there is one aspect that there stands out from what she said. She mentioned that his struggle to come to terms with being special was over the course of the series. But what about this first book in particular? I wholeheartedly agree Harry Potter as a series is a superhero story because while he comes into the wizarding world knowing nothing, he is still the boy who lived. He is Harry Potter, the chosen one. But this is something he has to grapple with throughout his life until he defeats his curse and nemesis, Voldemort. But when it comes to the first book in the series as it stands, I think there is at least one more genre that encompasses the arc of our hero, the Why Done It, or mystery. A successful Why Done It usually has these three elements a detective, whether that's a professional, an amateur, or even the reader. It just needs to be someone with a case on their hands, a case that they are not fully prepared for, whether they realize it or not. Secondly, a secret. The key to unraveling the whole thing. What is inside the last, darkest room for the hunt of a truth? It should illuminate something about the dark side of humanity, something we didn't think was possible before the case began. And thirdly, a dark turn the moment when the hero or detective finds themselves so deep into the mystery that their own rules, morals, and or ethics are compromised. The hero must do something, usually in the second half of the novel, that somehow breaks the rules or threatens their integrity or even their innocence. These are the harrowing stakes of a good mystery, and the dark turn is why readers care about this particular case, because the pull of this secret has become so strong, even the straightest arrows are helpless against it. 
So obviously, Harry is our amateur detective with the help of his two friends, but they are not ready for what this case is really about. We can easily see that when they finally learn that Voldemort is hoping to use the stone to return to power, it reveals that there are some people who want him back. Some people are just that evil. But that's only our detective and our secret. Our dark turn comes when Harry has promised himself he won't meddle again. He has learned his lesson and will not go sneaking around again, but when Snape seems to be making his move, Harry finds he has to compromise his word to save the school and likely the rest of the world from Voldemort. That is why I think this first book could be categorized as a why done it. But there are also strong arguments you could make about classifying it as a dude with a problem story. Harry is an ordinary hero who comes into extraordinary circumstances and must cope. It seems that it's all up to opinion. Whether or not this is a mystery, I have often seen authors underlie their stories with a small mystery plot. Brandon Sanderson is famous for doing this. No matter the story, there can be secrets to unfold and clues to find, making for large reveals like finding out the most powerful dark wizard is camping on the back lawn. What will Harry do? How will he stop Snape from stealing the stone? We will find out next week as we cover the finale of this wonderful book. And there you have it, guys. The second half of Act 2 for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I hope you learned something about story arcs and story genres. Keep reading and stick it out for the big reveal. This has been Writer's Reason. Thanks for listening.